relationship series, Rules of Engagement. And we all have relationships. We all have them either at work, with coworkers, with neighbors, with friends, with relatives, spouses, children. We have relationships. And what's crazy is some of our greatest, happiest moments in our entire lives happen within relationships. But some of the greatest conflict and tension in our lives specifically comes from relationships. And God knew this. And so in the Bible, he gave us rules of engagement. What do we do when conflict and tension come? So just to fill you in, a couple weeks ago, we talked about in rules of engagement, rule number one was the idea that our goal in conflict cannot be to win the argument or avoid the conflict. Our goal must be to please God. And there was, there was a phrase there, sinful people respond sinfully when sinned against. Yeah, but I like to win. But that can't be the goal. It has to be to please God. Rule number two, we must focus on our part of the conflict. Regardless of what the other person says or does. And my biggest enemy is me. James 4, he says, he says uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires inside of us that battle? We want something, but do not get it. Well, conflict and tension comes a lot of times from me. When we grows and I say, what do we do when we, the conflict and tension grows and grows and grows and I say things I shouldn't say or I do things I shouldn't do? What are the rules that God gives us in our relationships when we blow it? Now, I'm sure many of you don't blow it like I do. I'm sure of it. And I'm just going to assume that and I'm going to preach the sermon to me because I've got a long list of times when I've blown it. When I have said something I wish I... I'll give you an example. I told Renee, I can't think of, of these things when I blow it. And she said, oh, you probably just don't want to say the ones that you're thinking of. She was right. And so here goes. So I'll give you one from... I have to think way back to last month. Um, <laughs> I'm skipping some. So I was playing ice hockey. I enjoy playing ice hockey. And I was playing ice hockey on a Sunday afternoon after a wonderful church service, hearing the gospel, hearing the Bible preached and wanting to, uh, uh, you know, apply it in my life. And I'm playing hockey with these people that were better than I was, which is pretty typical nowadays. Pretty much all are. And... This kid came up to me, and he did this thing with the puck, and I went one way, and he went the other way with the puck, and then he said, hey, where are you going, old man? <laughs> I looked around because I thought he was talking to somebody else, but, and in that moment, I blew it. I caught up to him, which was a job in itself. I caught up to him, and I got right in his face. And fortunately, skates make me three inches taller. And uh, I said, watch your mouth, punk. Who you call an old man? So I'd like to see you bring that down on our side of the ice and see what happens. And I godly skated away. 
And he probably thought, oh, there's our pastor. No. <laughs> ah, what a, ah. And, you know, and I knew right away that I had blown it. And I thought, I should feel really good right about now. Yeah. And I was like, mm. I blew it. Now, all right, let me do it. Let me get even more personal. So I'll, I'll share one about my wife and I. So I didn't tell her I was going to share this one. We, um, we played co-ed softball for years together. And my wife is a phenomenal softball player. And in co-ed softball, you've got to have some ladies on your team that, that can hit and field. Like you, the, you can find them that can hit, you can find them that can field, but to find both, that's good. And so my wife, um, amazing. Excellent second baseman, great with the bat. Um, we didn't have to hide her because of her glove. It was, and I played center, or at least I was at that time, and I was coaching the team. And uh, this ball was hit out to center, and I tracked it down, made this diving catch, rolled, got up. There was somebody on second. I knew we could catch him off second. I whipped the ball into second base, and nobody was covering second. And as a good coach, I like to point out when we, how we can improve. And in that moment, I yelled some things that as they were leaving, surely other people have this feeling, as they were leaving my mouth, I was trying to grab them and I missed. And I yelled something like, come on, nobody can cover second base? Second baseman, what are you doing? Are you watching the game, or are you actually playing to win? We can't do that. And I had strategically thrown it right to where nobody was, and, and the, just to make my point, and I blew it. Man, you know it didn't end there because the inning eventually ends and you actually have to go back to sit next to the people that you just yelled at. So I'll conclude that story later on and tell you what I had to do, but what do we do when we blow it? Rules of engagement, rule number three. And Psalm 51 this guy, David, blew it. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 51. Um, if not, we'll put some of the verses on the screen, but if you have your Bible, please turn there. It's right in the middle of the Bible, so you open up the middle and you're, you're going to be pretty close to, to the book of Psalms. Um, David was a king, and, and he blew it. And this is something he wrote specifically after he had blown it, and he gives us a great example of what we're supposed to do when we blow it. Psalm 51, beginning with verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right, in your verdict and justified when you judge. Okay, what do we do when we blow it? It's called confession. Confession. Confession and forgiveness are principles in the Bible and they are all over the place, but people, humans are not good at these. 
And quite honestly, followers of Jesus are not either. These are, this is a tough concept. So I want to share, here's what most people in America do when, probably in the world, most people do when they've blown it. They, if they're going to apologize, they give a non-apology or a pseudo-apology. It, it goes something like this. Um, the, the if apology. I am sorry if I offended anyone. I'm sorry if I hurt you. It makes me feel better because I apologize, but it shifts the blame to somebody else because they're the one. Yeah, if I if I did any, you know, hey, if I yelled anything from center field, you know, and maybe some infielder got hurt feelings, yeah. If that happened, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, the, the non-apology. Here's a second one: the passive apology. I'm sorry we see this differently. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you think you shouldn't have covered second base. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm sorry you feel badly about that. I don't understand why. I, but okay, I'm sorry. The passive apology. Passive apologies, basically they say it's not my fault. <laughs> it was someone else or some circumstance around me. I'm, I'm sorry. I, you don't understand. I was tired from a long day. I'm, I'm sorry, we're down seven runs. Every out, every out counts. You know, the, a passive apology. Did I really apologize? I don't know. Probably not. A non-apology. I didn't mean it. Apology would be number three. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry that you misunderstood me. I'm sorry that you didn't realize what I meant. I thought I was clear, but apparently I wasn't. Yeah. The non-apology. The person leaves thinking, oh boy, I guess I read that wrong. And the guy who said, I'm sorry, leaves thinking, yeah, I apologized. Nah, non-apology. Here's another one. The you're too sensitive apology. Ah, this would be the one that I would tend to sit on. Other, other people thought it was funny. I'm sorry if you didn't. <laughs> sorry you're too sensitive. Everybody else got the joke. Sorry, you, you didn't. Everybody else figured it out. I'm sorry. It's just a non-apology. It basically says, I'm sorry you have a problem and it's that you're too sensitive. Not exactly what God is looking for. Okay, here's the, the final one. I'm sorry I have a dark side. I'm, I'm sorry. You know how I get when I haven't eaten. I'm sorry. I... When I'm around those friends, I just get that way. I'm, I'm sorry it bothers you, but yeah, what am I going to do? I'm sorry, you don't understand. After a long day's work, work makes me this way. You don't have to work with teenagers all day. Half of them don't even want to be there. I'm sorry, all right? Yeah, the non-apology. Now, all of us know somebody in our life, life who who has given a non-apology. I know somebody too. All right? They're just easier than real heartfelt apologies. But David was pretty clear in Psalm 51 about have mercy on me, O God, according to my according to your unfailing love, you know, forgive me of my transgressions. He owned it. 
Here, here's some examples. People in our, in our society who are really good at non-apologies are athletes, actors, community servants. Like people, people in the limelight know how to spin something. So here's an actor, Kevin Spacey. Here's what he said. He gave an apology to a young actor who was alleging sexual assault. Here's what he said. If I did behave, then, as he describes, I owe him the sincerest apology for what would have been deeply inappropriate drunken behavior. <laughs> what? Well, basically he says, if that happened, which I'm sure it didn't, if somebody did that, whoa, they should really apologize. Uh, and, and by the way, when I'm drunk, yeah, I don't even really know what I'm doing. That is crazy. That's an if and passive apology, and, and I have a dark side. Like he, he combined the trifecta in that apology. Kevin Spacey. Okay, here's one from the Jewel CEO, Kevin Barnes. On July 11th, 2019, he's in front of an FDA hearing, and somebody asks him about teenage vaping. When asked what he would say to parents whose children have been harmed by their product, here's what he says. Uh, this is classic. I'd tell them I'm sorry that their child is using the product. It's not intended for them. I hope there was nothing we did that made it appealing to them. Basically, in this passive apology, he says, if your children are dumb enough to do something that's clearly not intended for them, if you as parents are so, I mean, basically are so incompetent, well, then I guess, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm like, what? How do you do that? And I'm sure they've got lawyers who are spinning them, saying, oh, no, no, don't say that word. No, no, say these words. No, we want a non-apology. Well, God tells us how to give a real apology. And rules of engagement would require us to know, what, what do we do when we've blown it? It's called confession. David didn't come around to this immediately. In fact, he wrestled with whether to be contrite and confess or not. We read in, in Psalm 32, this is what David said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away <laughs> through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. What he says is, basically, when I was not apologetic, when I did not confess and ask forgiveness, I felt miserable. I, I've felt that way before. <clears throat> I, uh, sophomore year of college, junior year of college, I don't remember which one, but um, I was in a class and the rules were take home test. Once you take it home, you're not allowed to study. I took it home, okay, said, I'm not ready. Stuck it on my bookshelf, studied all day, took it the next day, handed it in, and then felt extremely guilty. And God had strategically placed spring break the week after that. And I went to Vermont for a week and felt miserable. Miserable. Like what David was saying. My bones ached. I felt very, very, very guilty. Because I knew I had, I had cheated, done something wrong. Blew it. So, Monday morning of classes, 
I find the professor. I said, I need to talk to you. He says, I don't have time. I said, no, 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 no. Right now, i got to talk to you. Like, it will kill me. My bones are aching, and I'm young. Now my bones ache, and I'm like, ah, that's 50. But back then, my bones ached. Some, you know, I had conviction. And uh, I said, you got to know. I cheated. Shouldn't have. Do whatever you want to do. He said, well, Brett, we only take three exams the whole semester. And that's your whole grade. If I give you a zero on this one, it's going to be tough for you to pass. I said, I'm all for tough, I'm going to pass. I'm sorry, just take this burden off me. So I got the goose egg on that exam. And I got a D for the class. And good news, it was pastoral counseling. So if any of you have anything you want to <laughs> talk about. Um, but I understand what David was saying. I feel like night and day your hand is heavy on me. Actually, if you're wondering, am I a follower of Jesus or not? That, that heavy conviction is from God. And it is a great indication that the Holy Spirit is in you, causing you to feel that. Um, when my children feel convicted, it is a great sign for my wife and I that the Holy Spirit is living in them. Because conviction comes from God. So David says, my bones were, I had, my strength was sapped like the heat of the day. And then I acknowledged my sin to God and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Non-apologies are easy, but real confession, it tests our character. It, it takes great humility, and, and it's, it's tough for me to ask forgiveness. I, I, that hockey game, um, I skated back down to my end and um, waited for him to skate into, my air, into our end of the pond and felt like, ah, I blew it. I blew it. I, I sinned. I shouldn't have. It's a 15-year-old kid. What, what am I thinking? What, what, was, what was that? And uh, good news is he scored on us fairly quickly after that, just adding insult to injury. And I, uh, I skated down to his end and I said, hey, I'm, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I, I need to apologize to you. That was what I, what I said to you, what I did there, inappropriate. Should not have done it. I'm sorry. I, um, I did not act like I should act. You forgive me. Um, asking forgiveness, though, that's, that's tough because it puts it in their court. Like, now, what, what is he going to say? No. Maybe he hits me with a stick. I don't know. Um, I deserved it. But real confession is tough. It is hard for me to be humble enough to ask for forgiveness. So let's talk about seven A's of confession. The seven A's of confession. Um, address, so number one, address everyone involved. First, confessing to God. That's an easy one. Confessing to God, every sin is, is against God. But, but then, address, address everyone. So the you know, if I say something terrible to my wife in front of my children, I can't just go back to my wife and apologize. 
because my children heard that. If you're at a, a parent-teacher meeting or, or a, a school board meeting and you get up and you take the microphone and, and you give a scathing talk to an individual on the board, it isn't enough for, for you to go back to the one individual and say, yeah, I was out of bounds. I'm really sorry. I, I, will you forgive me? That was totally out. I should not act that way. No, you better get the mic the next time and say, hey, everybody, just so you know, I, and I came to Tony, and I, I apologize, but I want you all to know I am sorry for that. I, I ran over him with the bus in this meeting, and I shouldn't have. And I think you need to do that, all who are involved. I, I needed to tell the team the changes that were coming in the softball league. I did not need to just tell my wife, whom we had to ride home in the same car together. See, just wasn't thinking about all the ramifications of that. Put out a second. Um, address all those involved. Number two, avoid words like if, but, and maybe. Because these words help us to avoid responsibility. I shouldn't have gotten upset, but if you had covered second, everything would, no. No. I, I need to avoid the words like if and but and maybe. They're non-apologetic words. Number three, admit specifically. Yeah, sorry about last night. No, 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 no. I am sorry that last night I used words that I know hurt you, and I need your forgiveness about those. I should not have said, you are never on time. It's not true. It was meant to hurt. You know, specific Admit specifically. Um, number four, acknowledge the hurt. They need to know that you hurt for them. I am viewing this from your perspective. I know it must have really hurt when I said, whatever, whatever, whatever. I am sorry. So, how do we have a, a, a biblical confession? Address everyone involved. Avoid words like if, but, maybe. Admit specifically. Acknowledge the hurt. Number five, accept the consequences. If I borrow your car and I, and I crash it while I'm texting my friend and I say all four of the top four things correctly in my apology, but then I say, oh, by the way, your car has wrapped around a tree on Old Vestal Road, Here's the keys. I'm, I'm kind of missing a big part. And, and that would be accepting the consequences. No, I need, to, I need to pay for the car. I need to do whatever needs to be done. I was, I was in Vermont. We have a place in Vermont. Growing up as a family, we, we had a house in Vermont. And my buddy Troy and I went to Vermont for the weekend. It was the first time that I had earned the right to take the car and go to Vermont with my friend and no parents were around. It was great. What a fun time. We rode three-wheelers. We went fishing, camping. It was, it was awesome. Until we were flying home one night from I don't know what we were doing and this corner came up a little faster than I remember the corner coming up and I flipped that car over and over and over and ended up down in this pasture and my mom's Volkswagen Golf was like mangled. 
And Troy was hanging there from the seatbelt, and I was hanging there, and I'm like, ah, we're in deep trouble. And he said, you're in deep trouble. (laughs) And he said, by the way, the mirror's broke. He did. He actually said that. We unbuckled, walked back to town. I had to call my dad, who was in, we lived in Clark Summit at the time, and he had to drive up and bring us home. Longest trip home from Vermont ever. Uh, I had to do more than say I'm sorry. I had to pay, so I had to pay our deductible. I had to also pay the uh, insurance increase for the next five years. And I think I even had to pay for gas on the way home. That was my, <clears throat> that was my hey, you did something and so just understand the consequences. Well, part of confession, part of a real I'm sorry is about accepting responsibility. Um, Zacchaeus, in, in, in Luke 19.8, um, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he earned all his money by stealing from people, by charging them more taxes than he should have. And he says, you know what? I, uh, I am now a follower of Jesus, and so I'm going to donate half of everything I own to the poor. And if I cheated anybody, come and talk to me, and I'll give you four times what I cheated you. Okay, that's accepting responsibility. For, for that softball game incident, I, uh, Nicole said to me, I will never play on another team with you when you're the coach. We were really good. We were leading the league. That hurt. So I had to step down as coach, and Jay Laidlaw, our catcher, I went to him and said, hey, Jay, you know what I did out there? He said, yeah, stupid. I said, I know, I know. I said, uh, Nicole said that she won't play on a team that I'm coaching anymore, ever, in our lives, until we die. <laughs> he said, yeah, I think you got off easy. I said, will you please be the coach? Yeah, I'd love to coach a great girl like Nicole. <laughs> so we held the team together, but that was one of my consequences was, aside from no yelling from the outfield, except, good job, babe, awesome catch. That was allowed. But none of the, yeah, other comments. I tend to be a, no, no, that's part of those passive, passive, I I could have said, you know me, when I get competitive, I just can't stop. But I need to accept the consequences. Um, Let's keep going fast, because I'm lallygagging. Number six, alter your behavior. There there has to be a change in behavior with a confession. I can't just keep doing what I've been doing. I need to change how I'm acting. So when we do a true confession, we really do have to have a change in actions and behavior. We can't keep going back to that. Same thing over and over. Sorry for this, sorry for this, sorry for this. It doesn't work that way. And then number seven, uh, ask for forgiveness. Specifically ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? See, I'm sorry is for when you bump into somebody and they spill their water. Ooh, oh, sorry. Will you forgive me is in a true confession. When I am knowing that I blew it, I have sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? A hard words to say. Hard words to say. But biblical and necessary. Here's what David says in Psalm 51. He says, uh, 
these two verses, boy, they, they just demonstrate the, the godliness of David and his attitude he had of confession. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, it says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would, I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Basically, he says, I, I would do that. Boy, that's easy. I, I would do that one. Um, but, but you don't, that's not going to do it for you. No, what you want is, verse 17, my sacrifices, O oh God, to broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Um, God's looking for a broken and contrite heart. He's looking for me to be broken, and that's what he requires of confession. It's not just a hoop I jump through, not just a... Um, Another thing I do, no, it's, it's for real. I can't think of anything better today to do than celebrate communion during the service because I think about um, what, what Jesus has done for us in forgiving us. Like, what an example of forgiveness. What an example of an opportunity we had, if we are followers of Jesus, that we had to, to confess our sins to the creator of the universe and, and ask him to forgive us. So we're going we're gonna to do this together. Um, be, before, before we do this, I just want to say something about, about communion. There are two things in the Bible that, that God specifically says about his church that he wants us to do. He wants us to celebrate communion. He also wants us to baptize. And so we celebrate baptisms and we celebrate communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, um, we read about the... the Last Supper, and, and Jesus is talking. And com- communion is, is a pretty important thing. Jesus gives us some instructions, or the, the Bible gives us some instructions. Paul writes 1 Corinthians, and he says, Be careful when you take communion. Make sure your heart is right. Make sure there is not sin in your life. Because if you, if you take communion and sin is in your life, unrepented sin that you didn't deal with, go take care of that. And then come back and take communion. Sometimes that can be done with just prayer to God and asking him forgiveness. Other times we need to go to an individual. But, but he says that it's very important we do that because if we don't do it that way then it, it is not a celebration of Jesus. It's, it's really dirty. Like we have sin. We have stains in our life that we're going before the creator of the world saying thank you so much and he's saying take care of your sin first. There, there are two elements here. One is the cracker, and it's on the top. And in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, here's what it says. This is the amplified version. It says, the, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, or represented by this cracker, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is, this do, oh no, I'm sorry, I, I went to the wrong one. Took bread, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this represents my body, which is offered as a sacrifice for you. Do this in affectionate remembrance of me. Let's, let's take together. Verse 25, he continues, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And uh, he said, this cup is the new covenant ratified and established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in affectionate remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are symbolically proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he comes again. So let's, let's take the cup together. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have to remember how you forgave us. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you that you offered us forgiveness. God, it is, it is hard for us to confess to other people and to ask forgiveness, but I know that in the Bible you tell us we need to. And so please help us. Help me. Help me to live in a way that pleases you and when I blow it, please help me to be very open and ready and willing to ask forgiveness and confess. Not a non-apology, Lord, but a, but a real true apology for you. Mostly because of what you've done in your forgiveness.